Welcome back to Incremental, the continuous improvement podcast. This is our concepts edition for the week. I'm Devin Bodoni. And I'm Uriel Eisen. And this week we're going to have kind of a loose focus on flow. And how do we achieve that? What does it mean? Implications. All the good stuff. All that. And you got a quote. Got a quote from, it's in uh, Shigeo Shingo... Uh, key strategies for plant improvement and he's quoting a professor an unspecified professor he had in school Um, speed is fine as far as it goes but velocity requires a direction component so as you're swimming you've got to raise your head from time to time to check to make sure you're moving toward your objectives Um, this is basically yeah that speed isn't important it needs to be velocity Uh which I thought was right a good point speed without (laughs) without a uh, direction is not helpful is or might be helpful potentially harmful yeah (laughs) Yeah. um it's interesting to me that in all of this i mean it's sort of hard to take to heart fully but basically everything i've seen on lean tps all that is that you should not focus on speed which is confusing because i feel like the reason you get into this is often because <laughs> you need to get more done, right? Or something, or you're like, it's uh-huh. so hectic. How do I improve my efficiency? And efficiency is sort of output per time right. measurement. Yeah. And so it's hard to not focus on the time aspect. Yeah. But the, the argument is kind of that if you do focus on speed, you're basically just stressing your human, uh, yeah you know yourself or your employees or everyone involved and that you're kind of counting on like vigilance and perform and like performance i don't know if performance is the word instead of improving systems to just make everything easier less you know less more mistake proof yeah uh and then we had some some listener like conversation this past week about the uh operations versus process thing yeah i actually met that guy at this uh at oh. the gravel event this oh. past weekend yeah <laughs> that's cool <laughs> that's fun <laughs> um and i think so that kind of uh what you're speaking about sort of points towards the same thing and then i was i read the goal or most of the goal this last week yeah and i know it's fiction so like you got to take everything with a grain of salt but i thought a very good just like um portrayal of that point was when just they in the book they reduced batch sizes by half and then Mm -hmm. reduced them again there was no discussion of like um smed or anything like that okay they were like just make these systems less efficient these operations less efficient we're just going to do more setups we're not going to try and shorten our setups interesting we're just going to do more of them but we're going to reduce our batch size and achieve more flow like granted Again, it's fiction, but, um, I thought that just kind of like was a good way to illustrate the point that sometimes these things are very much at odds where overall plant efficiency can come from actually reducing operation efficiency. Um, yeah, I see that all the time. I mean, we've talked about it as it relates to our milling machine and how like increasing the number of changeovers meant we didn't need a mill. Yeah. uh, Like a second mill. Also in the paint department, painting one color is so much more efficient. Yeah. But it drives massive inventories everywhere else. Yeah. So I think, yeah, people, 
maybe myself included are just like still having a hard time wrapping i'm sure we'll always be wrapping our head around this concept yeah and like some of it has to do with i think making spreadsheets so spreadsheets are useful right so i've been deep in spreadsheets trying to figure out a very um whatever uh, a a big quote and you know you want to get these things right yeah and each line item has to do with time right so it's sort of like how many do we do an hour and then that's sort of what we need to charge so i feel like the way you're measuring things Uh is very much in the time world and so it's hard to not get sucked into that as a focus yeah like to go from wow if we could do 50 of these per hour instead of 30 Mm-hmm. That would mean this for our cost of goods. That would be huge to not then walk out on the floor and go like, all right, chop, chop, <laughs> like, <laughs> let's go, you know, it's, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, to jump into it, um, I had, to, it's not a revelation. Uh, the information was all there <laughs> all this time, but Isn't I never, it always? never bothered to like measure it. Um, so I had posted on Instagram and we discussed a couple weeks back the like uh, like progress pages or time monitoring pages on the mm-hmm. brother machines. And they list average in cycle time as a percentage of on time for every day they're on. Very and, cool. Yeah. All right, I got to open these pages. <laughs> yeah. So it's, uh, you know, it's kind of like a rough number, but it, I think like it's, it's, it's not a very granular number. It's a very high level number um, or like high, high level view. It's not, it doesn't necessarily tell you a lot about the specifics, but I think it is a really good just kind of overview. And the numbers are on in our shop are all over the place. <clears throat> so I was like, I should see, I should see what the average of it records the last 20 days that it was on. Gotcha. Um, I should see what the average is. So I added up, one of our S700s, uh, so just a three-axis vertical. And then I added up the second one. They've been running entirely different work. Okay. You, you know, like nothing similar at all. And their uh, their cycle uptime percentage was within three-quarters of a percent of each other. No way. And I was like, well, that either it was total random chance. Right. Or, uh, or there's very significant like outside uh <clears throat> constraints that mm-hmm. are like defining that number which i'm you know 20s 20 days is not a huge sample size but it's also not nothing yeah so i'm kind of leaning towards the the second option that mm-hmm. there that it is a constraint in our system um and those numbers were 46 and a quarter percent and 47% which <clears throat> was kind of a bummer <laughs> at first. Yeah. And then, so just for, for kicks, I was like, you know, quick dive into this, like, where are these, where's this time, right. time coming from? And then I did this rough calculation that if you assume that every cycle, the machine waits two minutes before somebody notices and comes to the machine and then it takes another two minutes, which is, for them to change the part and hit cycle start again. So Mm -hmm. four minutes down per, per cycle, which I think is fairly realistic. Unless if you have somebody parked at the machine, like just standing there, you know, bet you can get a lot of part changes down 
to a minute or maybe a little less. Mm-hmm. But or if you have pneumatic zero point, sure. <laughs> Even that, I think, if you actually stand there, I've done some of this with zero point stuff and stood yeah. there with a stopwatch and with a human operator opening the door, uh-huh. moving things out of the machine back in quick, like everything's tight, right. close the door. Like it's it's hard to get under forty five seconds there. Um, gotta get a pit crew in there. Yeah, pretty much. So anyway, uh, if you have 30 parts a day and you have that four minute downtime per cycle, uh, that is 25% of your day. That is downtime is not cutting time. Okay. If you have 60 parts per day, so a shorter cycle time Yeah. and you have that same four minute downtime per cycle, it's 50% of your day. The machine spends not cutting. Wow. So this really points to those, uh, our machines, pallet changers. Yes. It, well, yeah. I mean, I think that's sort of a stopgap, but it, yes. That shaves. Well, it takes it all out of. Yeah. No, it actually, it's, it's big. So yeah. our, I expect this to go down once we finish where we're about a week away from finishing this job that we've been running since the end of January. Wow. Um, and so aside from little issues we've had, like a broken tool here or there, and then like when we do, uh, a new the the new parts it's like six part numbers in a family but they all use the same fixed string okay so like swapping over to a new part is pretty seamless mm-hmm. um, that machine has been running an average over the last twenty days of eighty four percent uptime wow um and there were a couple like we had an issue this last week where like a I think about a quarter maybe a little less. Huh of the material we ordered was, was bent. Oh God. Uh, warped from its own internal stresses. And so we'd been kind of like setting it aside because okay. this has happened in the past and we've bent it flat. And then we went to start bending it flat and it was like not working. Um, damn. So we had to go find a friend with a press. And then, so the operator had spent the day out two two half days out of the shop bending gotcha. the plate back. So that I'm sure killed our number a little bit, even right. so. I expect yeah. it to go down with setups, but it is. It What's is the price difference on those machines? Is it around thirty percent? Uh, yeah, I think <laughs> it is. <laughs> now that you mention it, <laughs> interesting. I, maybe not quite. I think an S is around. Is it mid eighties? Depends on the size. I think yeah. Maybe it is thirty percent. I think a base price on an R for the smaller one is like like one fifteen, maybe one ten. Okay. So yeah. In that, right in there in that pocket yeah but of course floor space wise it doesn't it's, well it could be uh, a 30 percent increase i wonder i don't think it's that much bigger yeah so rent is substantial when i yeah. was in uh my shop in pittsburgh i was looking at all this used equipment where a lot of the used equipment that's dirt cheap is enormous and has huge power requirements yeah right because no one wants it yeah like often I would see like three phase huge industrial machine go for the same price as like a Delta bandsaw yeah. <laughs> that everyone can just plug it in the garage. Um, so I wrote a sign on the door that was like how much I was paying per year per square foot. Uh-huh. Cause then you'd calculate it out and it's like, yeah, I'm saving a lot of money, but that savings is going to be gone after a year and a half. Yeah. So <laughs> no. Yeah. I was shopping for <clears throat> air compressors like a couple years ago. Yeah. And it was like stuff like, you know, Husky 
carry around or like a 400 horsepower <laughs> industrial air compressor with a diesel engine on a skid. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, uh, neither. neither of those. <laughs> yeah. What I want. That's tough. That's very interesting though, to actually see hard numbers on it. I mean, I guess it's a little hearing you explain. I mean, that's a, this is a very simplistic view too. I don't think, but that's kind of useful because it is useful. It yeah. gives you something. I don't like right now. I don't think the, the downtime in cycle is what we're trying to tackle. Like it'd be great if there was not a two minute delay for the operator to arrive. Okay. But like, I don't think that's our major constraint at this point. Okay. Um, I think a, a large, like, you know, similar to driving, like you can go 60 miles an hour. And if you don't stop, you're going to get there before going 70, but stopping every whatever yep. for 10 totally. minutes kind of a thing. Um, where was I going with that? I think, you know, our changeovers and setups, I think are like those stopping for 10 minutes things right now. I could see that. I mean, I don't, I'm not there. Are you saying like, if anything doesn't sort of go seamlessly with our setups, I think like, I think there's more to be gained right now in our overall efficiency by reducing setup times Mm -hmm. and changeovers from part to part. Um, and it's like a less expensive lift than buying a bunch of robots or something to 10 machines that makes sense you have a quote you're gonna read uh i just read a different piece that made me think of what uh-huh. we we're talking about because um he says a tag is a this is also uh shijo shingo strategies for plant improvement a tag is said to be a tool that transports intentions through space <laughs> as in a con bomb is that what he's talking about um well i was sort of thinking about like information flow uh-huh. and then uh, whereas a register is a tool that transports intentions in time, it follows then that a tag can be eliminated by bringing the senders and the receivers of intentions closer to one another, and registers can be eliminated by reducing the time involved in transmitting intentions. But that uh, that is by taking immediate action. Um, I was just thinking about it in terms of like getting those setups. Yeah. dialed yeah is all about like good information yeah Absolutely. passing yes but i was sort of thinking <laughs> after that thought of like how do you document it and how do you improve the documentation it's always worth bearing in mind that not making those documents is actually more efficient <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah i don't, I don't think it's i don't know it's hard to no I, I struggle with that for sure every time i'm like putting setup notes in our setup sheets and I'm like me writing this out is just like a lot of waste. Yeah. But for where we are <clears throat> at this time, you know, in our business and our right skill set and flow and everything like I think this is less waste than us having to be next to each other talking about it when that's maybe not convenient for either person. Yeah. Also it seems like an easier thing to improve than having no baseline (laughs) yes it's easier to improve and it's systemizable yeah which i guess you could systemize like a little scalable but it's it's not a lot better anyway right um so i think for us specifically i think this is a good number to have in mind Mm -hmm. and as i think towards automation be like that's what we're attacking and so you're attacking those four minutes or you're attacking, I assume the four minutes the automation. I feel like automated part loading would attack the four minutes. Mm-hmm. 
right but right now i think we need to tack the like hour here and there so interestingly in my experience and um so far is that the automation you think will actually will attack those changeovers the changeover the part the part sorry part yeah changing yeah and it sort of does but i can't decide if it's attacking the four minutes or attacking those like mistakes in the day where it's like oh shit that machine sat for 10 minutes or 15 minutes or because often the cycles are kind of slower but then you can run them more hours in the day you can like leave them to run into the night like there's this other i don't know so it's interesting i wonder if your per part time including that part change goes down with automation or no i think or if it sort of slightly increases but you end up just running a massive amount in the day i think like when i'm adding on that two minute average delay for an operator like i think that's an average because often i see right right and then and then sometimes you're in the middle of something they're out sawing material and yeah something goes wrong with the saw and all of a sudden the machine sits for half an hour yep and then you just added a minute to every cycle right okay i see as an average yeah that makes sense i think it's more that kind of picture i've had the same experience with the automation we've run where yeah in general if you just sit there with a stopwatch and time cycles in an ideal world a, a person's faster yeah um but they're less consistent I was watching some footage of robots doing part loading. Yeah. The spindle grippers are that we're running yeah. are so much faster. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. I think a robot plus R machine is probably yeah. like an N. And the R machine just angle. has a switching table. So there's one table that's being used and then the other table is free Yeah, for like a robot or an operator to kind of load and unload without slowing down the machine. Yeah. Which I think would be really cool because robots are pretty slow if they're reliable. Um, yeah. And it would give a lot of time for all of the things to be done well by the robot. Yeah, it'd be pretty awesome because often programming for automation, you're sort of in this unfortunate position of trading process reliability for cycle time. So it's a, right. it's like, do we probe for the stock to know it's in the right position or do you just assume it is and know what will happen if it's not or like all this stuff whereas if you weren't pressed for time you could do so much validation without it being a trade-off at all yeah which would be pretty sweet yeah um i've been having thoughts about uh selling current machines to buy different machines Uh uh-huh i i probably need to spreadsheet it i'm not it's like a little outside of my comfort zone thinking through the uh, financials of it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Like part of me is like, if you have a pay, not that my machines are paid off, but one of them is about to be, if you have a paid off machine that's capable of making money for another 20 years or even 10 years. Right. It seems crazy to sell it at a pretty low cost, you know, comparatively low cost uh-huh. to then take on another payment and not add, you know, add capability, but maybe not capacity. Depending on what the I mean, if you're looking at revenue capacity instead of part capacity, then that added yeah capability. Hopefully, that's true. Don't convince. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, oops. (laughs) Don't convince me. I mean, don't do it. But there is a part of me that's like looking at these numbers, being like, okay, we could swap right these three axis verticals for our machines or five axis machines, and like very much increase our our capability and put you know throughput. Capability. Yeah. Yeah. 
I don't know. Interesting. But I can't think about that today. I got to do tool tags. <laughs> yeah. um, no, those those numbers are super interesting, actually, like getting into the specifics of what is actually happening. Yeah, they're not um, a complete picture, but they're just like a brief like, oh, damn. Like, yeah, even if that is even if that if there's all these other variables involved. But if it was just that, like f- half of your potential runtime, like I definitely don't do calculation sure. revenue projections based on 50% uptime. Like I'm in my head, I'm shooting for more than that. And it's like, well, maybe that's not realistic. Yeah. Until you add some serious systems in place to, to bump that up. That's pretty cool. Interesting. Um, yeah. So I had, um, just a thought based on some of our previous conversations. And again, I'm looking at this, uh, big quote, uh, that we may fire off here is, I think a lot of small businesses are constrained, like their actual bottleneck is in time, human yeah. labor time. Yeah. Um, I'm and, feeling that. Yeah. And I just wonder how people deal with that. And I'm wondering, like in the goal, Eliyahu Goldrat, basically his his thing on like theory of constraints, as I understand it, is figure out what your constraint is and then subordinate all other business functions to that bottleneck. Mm-hmm slash improve the bottleneck, mm-hmm. right? Improving the bottleneck in this case is obviously hiring. Um, us yeah. Or or reducing the waste in the things they're doing that are taking up time. Yeah. Right. So it's like if I'm if if we have a if we're sweeping every day, yeah. it's like what are we sweeping up? Yeah. Can we keep that from ever getting on the floor to begin with so we don't have to sweep every day? Sure. Uh yeah, so I I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Like, there's sort of you know, do you bring in flex labor? Like, we've kind of talked about this, right? It's like, yeah, if your company has enough labor for, you know, I don't know. Like, what are you optimizing your labor force for? Is it that peak throughput? Probably not. Is it like ninety percent throughput? Then you have a lot of slack time. It's just very confusing figuring out. Yeah, I don't. I I. I wouldn't say we are in my shop that we're optimizing for, for anything. Okay. <laughs> we're just kind of like skin of our teeth a little bit on this. Like I've just been kind of adding people very slowly as I felt like I could. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast that I've seen um, like big, every time I've added a person, there's been a big revenue jump. Yeah. And once we kind of settle in, I noticed that we kind of hit a cap and that points to at least within the system as it currently stands, human labor being, being a, like a, a, a bottleneck. Right. Um, and I have been considering hiring another person to ease that, Yeah. you know, along with improving systems. I think there's this tendency to be like, we're just going to improve all the systems to the point where we can do everything with these people. Right. But I don't think I'm coming around to the fact that that's not realistic. Well, even like for me, it's it's not only that it's not it it is maybe realistic theoretically. Mm. I guess realistic and theoretically maybe are not the same. <laughs> um, what is it? Uh, theory and practice are the same in theory. Yeah. Um, so maybe yeah, maybe that's the problem. Um, no, but I don't even have the time to improve all the systems. Yeah. Right. It's like either I can work on like figuring out automating our paint process 
or I can work on reducing cycle time on the current product so we can bring in like there, you know yeah. there's only so much I can do or and I can you're already doing three other things that have to happen today <laughs> yeah like I still have to do sales yeah. so yeah or I could improve my process for doing sales to make that more efficient yeah and so even if you ignore the work that has to be done and just look at huge potential for improving current processes I don't even have the time to yeah so yeah it's just interesting because I think like we you know we were sort of talking about how do you schedule like how do you know what to do next in the shop I think has a lot to do with this right how do you optimize that bottleneck resource which is I think for me and for a lot of small shops is human labor and I suspect similar to your CNC numbers I bet my numbers are not much better mm. once you look at like switching tasks like taking a few minutes to walk around to figure out what you should be doing next for your people for myself yeah for for yourself yeah, yeah. right like i wonder what my uptime looks like um <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like i bet it's just not much better yeah and, and i think like knowing exactly what should be done next and i don't know if that you just like it would sort of i don't know when i get really busy and maybe i should just do this all the time when i get really busy i write myself out a very clear sort of list right and then sure. it's like i'll do this and then i'll do that and then and i really plan it out because it's like okay i have this many hours to get a lot of stuff done yeah and in just saying that out loud it is very clear to <laughs> <laughs> that it's probably the answer um yeah i i often struggle with the fact that like once you sort of like trained yourself to orient around uh stress it can be hard when the stress is released mm. in that like once once the business is in kind of a flow state to maintain that high level of efficiency right because yeah the pressure's not there and you right. don't you're like well i could write a list or i could do well let's check my email yeah, yeah see yeah. what see what's happening today <laughs> you know and, interesting uh yes i so all that to rambly say i agree i think creating well, yeah, it comes back to the systems things of creating systems that tell you what to do. Yeah. I think my frustration with the idea of writing a list yeah. is that ideally the shop should trigger activity in that it should be a pull system of where is, where is your attention needed. Uh -huh. And the act of creating that list is all waste. It's sort of like taking inventory, right? I mean, that's basically what you're doing. You're walking around, you're going like, oh, what do I need to do today? Let me think, let me write that right. down, let me order those, let me prioritize those. When really, ideally, the shop would kind of tell you, right? It's like, oh, the queue for quotes that need to go out is past the acceptable trigger point, which might be, the acceptable trigger might be zero, right? Because you want to get back to customers really quick. It sounds um, like it is telling you, you just don't have like the visibility into the, into each individual process. And yeah, all, yeah. 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 Like there's no visuals. I think like visual controls on every single process where there's like a green range and then an orange range and then a red range. Sure. And you try to keep everything in green. I think the challenge for me has been a making it all visual yeah. is tough B having very clear thresholds for each thing and very clear work there's some very ambiguous stuff that I do yeah um, and that's probably just a cop-out like a lack of analysis on what those are right if I sat down for an hour I could probably 
at least group them group them make it a little more clear but like things like outgoing sales efforts it's very like attribution is really hard like attributing sales to a particular sales effort uh-huh. Like if I'm posting on Instagram, say, right, and then someone buys, right. why did they buy? Yeah, hard to say. Yeah, but I know that that activity, in like you know, writ large, I like zoomed out, right? <laughs> that activity does produce results, and at a, I don't know. So like, it's not explicit what cadence that needs to be at, which I'm sure it could be. Anyway, it's just yeah, yeah I've ha- I've had trouble, and it's sort of been a recurring theme. Well, and then there's the whole thing too of where you maybe you do develop this system that tells tells you tells individuals what needs to be done in the shop at any given moment very yeah. effectively. There's likely still going to be a point at which you realize there's not enough people to do all these things when they need to be done. Right. And I think that is yeah kind of what I'm finally coming to in my shops. Like, okay, yeah. we have these machines. You know, based on a theoretical uptime, we should be able to bill this many hours per month. We're doing a half of that, right. maybe or less. Yeah. Why? <laughs> yeah. And it's really easy to be like to to think you're going to fix everything with the systems. I think it's really good to focus on the systems because as you add people, that makes that much smoother. For sure. But I am definitely coming to a place where I like. I think I need some redundancy in some of these you know key skill sets so that if one person is occupied with another thing that's also critical (laughs) there's still somebody who can do this other part that's yeah very critical imagining those red light you know the the green light orange light red light i feel like the problem is that most (laughs) most stations are on red yeah (laughs) except for production like our production flows really well but i think maybe because it's just the most visible i don't know why so you're saying most of your like, red lights are in like admin stuff? Admin, sales, email, quotes, yeah. uh, like planning other bits. Do you yeah. like specify a time to no. work on that? No. I've fallen off the wagon, but for a while, for well, yeah, just as things got busier. For a while, both my employees were working four days a week, and then okay. I was working a fifth, and that was kind of like my admin catch-up day and then you're staring at the cnc's being like i will i was just get a job running real quick then i I learned pretty quickly that that was a (laughs) non-starter okay yeah uh but we have gotten to the point where they've started working five days a week oh nice and they're keeping things running and so my like yeah your one day of like solitude and silence is it's gone gone. (laughs) yeah and you know overall that's probably better i think but i am having to readjust and figure out how to yeah how to make those times still yeah and i think as someone who's i don't know running a small business or a big business um well maybe not a big business but i think so far i've fixed my problems by working hard yeah and that is not necessarily a scalable answer Mm -hmm. especially as your available labor represents a smaller percentage of total company capacity it just doesn't move the needle as much. Yeah. Right. Like it used to be, it's like, okay, well, if I just work through the weekend, I can right. <laughs> really catch up in a substantial way. And now it's like, yeah, that's helpful for the business. <laughs> it's not good for my personal life. Yeah. Now I'm just tired. <laughs> yeah. And it didn't actually make a huge dent. It just made a small dent. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought it was just since we're on bottleneck still a little bit. Yeah. Um, in the goal. 
the like the the book the goal um when i'm forgetting that jonah is that the character's name mm, i the, think that sounds right i read it months and months ago yeah the what would i think you call him he's like the plant manager no no no, oh, no the mentor the mentor yeah the the author of, yeah the author the <laughs> yeah. way he wrote himself into the book yeah. um when he's pointing out when they're doing a calculation on the cost mm-hmm. the cost calculation of their bottleneck machines yeah and this is just like sort of understood this but having it kind of driven home was cool that they were like oh it's you know this burden rate plus the labor rate plus whatever mm-hmm. it's like 35 bucks an hour or something and jonah the mentor was like no 80 percent of your business goes through this machine and you do whatever millions of dollars per month. Mm-hmm. That means that a down and you have this many running hours per month. That means that a down hour on this machine is X percentage of your total revenue or 80% of your total revenue is like, ouch, $2,700 a month. I think it was in the book or $2,700 an hour. Yeah. And sort of like, I think that's a cool thing to think about your different, processes in your shop and how to or business whatever not a shop necessarily and how to prioritize where labor goes and right you know being like okay yes i know it's important to get that email out today and everything that we make goes through this machine do the machine first so that it can run kind of a thing and yeah i think it can be hard to it can, it can be hard to systemize some of those priority list or those like uh Hi, like yeah not yeah. totally priority right it's yeah. like if if both are triggered which one happens first yeah kind basically of yeah so in that book i mean a lot of the examples were kind of like well have one person work through lunch and then have like stagger who's taking lunch when mm-hmm. right like all of those examples assumed this is sort of why i brought this point up yeah. assumed a physical constraint Right. Mm -hmm. Like he gives the example of like if sometimes you have a pile of stock at one machine and sometimes you have a pile of stock at another machine because one way of finding your bottleneck is looking for stock or inventory work in progress ahead of a process. Um, It could be those machines, but because it moves day to day, it could also be something else. And in that case, it was an it was a forklift. Mm hmm. Forklift is still a physical asset, right? You can either get a second one or oftentimes, I mean, what they ended up doing was, which I thought was interesting, was moving from, uh, to moving to smaller containers such that the weight of the container was well within like just carrying it from machine to machine. Is that a different book? Uh, it was one of his lectures, I think. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think it's at the end of that book actually in the audio form. Um, right. But they're all sort of these physical constraints. I, I haven't heard him describe one where it is f- where your bottleneck is labor. And I just don't know. I mean, okay, there's a very simple way of attacking that, which would just be look at all the tasks you do, figure out and make a, I forget what they call them, but if you make a spreadsheet that's sort of like all the things you spend time on, how much you think you could reduce each process by and how long it would take you to reduce that mm-hmm. process you can get a very quick list of like uh-huh. okay tackle this thing then that thing then that thing and that will buy you back five minutes a day or 10 minutes a day or you know cumulatively you can buy back an hour a day which you know would be huge yeah <clears throat> um yeah but i don't know it just seems i feel like i can i feel like all these books assume 
this is, I guess, what I'm getting at. I feel like all of these books assume that your bottleneck is not labor. Or maybe it's that all the bottlenecks, are, all, all the books are written at a, from the point of view of a company who will fix that problem. Right? I guess Toyota does deal a lot with labor. It's like, here's how they deal with peaks and valleys in production, mm-hmm. with overtime, with temp workers, with this other stuff. But it's like, yeah. so maybe they're just assuming that that should never be your bottleneck. I don't know what that, do you know? Yeah, uh, I'm not really sure. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's especially hard for businesses of our scale because generally the margins are very slim and we don't have a lot of cash flow to play with. So I think, like, there's that, I think it's also just like, if I bring in a, a third person, that's now a 50% increase in capacity, which is huge uh-huh. as a small tweak, right? right. <laughs> like, that's a huge small, it's like, oh, this week we need a little more capacity. Let's bring in a third person. It's like yeah. suddenly we have 50% more capacity. And now my job went from actually doing work to training someone and managing them to make sure they have stuff to do because now we have 50% more capacity. Yeah. Well, maybe the question really comes back to like, is it, this would be, require a lot of interrogation, but it might be, is the problem actually a labor shortage? A, i.e., is the problem actually a labor bottleneck? Or is it a leveling issue? Hmm. Or is it, just an information flow issue, which you could also maybe view as a leveling issue. Right. Like people knowing what to do when. Could also be like batching, right? That you're b- yeah. batching tasks instead of flowing. There's, yeah, there's so much there that yeah. I think it's sort of like an amorphous, like very busy so, picture. And it's hard. I think it's easy to say, well, I'm going to say, I do believe we need more labor in my <laughs> shop. But I think it's also easy to be like, this is just that there's too much work for us all to do. And I think like everything in this, it seems like is like uh, paradoxical a little bit, mm-hmm. but I think backing out far enough to see the picture well enough to see where people are wasting their time yeah, or just not even wasting their time, but just like maybe doing the wrong thing at the wrong time. Yeah. Like the right thing at the wrong time, the right thing at the wrong yeah. time rather. Yeah. I, it's probably one of those situations where it's like, yes, you need more labor, but you probably don't need as much as you think. Right. And I think here's here's the catch 22 in my head. Mm-hmm. And this is maybe where you get back to like, you just got to do an hour a day. Yeah. I don't have the labor to improve <laughs> the processes, right? It feels right. like. Yeah. And so it sort of feels like you could hire someone to come in to fix your problems. I mean, it doesn't work, right? Mm-hmm. From what I can tell, like other people don't seem to have good luck with like hiring consultants to implement better oh, systems. I was going to say, if you do hire another person it is actually very helpful (laughs) yeah no i can see hiring someone i don't think i'd hire someone to do improvements i think i'd hire them to do the work yeah that is systemized and then i would work on improvements and training them to do improvements Mm -hmm. something like that um i have a little thing here i mean how are we doing on time um i was just thinking about this and i think this is probably said a million different ways but this popped into my head and it felt like a very useful very clear picture so the further production ratios differ from the ratio and cadence of stuff leaving your shop the more inefficiency you have Mm -hmm. so i was just thinking about by production ratios do you mean like one part to another part yeah Yeah, so if you have assembly yeah 
Uh-huh. Yeah, if you have an assembly, or I mean, even if you're shipping orders of individual pieces, uh-huh. the yeah. So the further that ratio differs from the cadence, that that can work both ways. If we're shipping one part this week and a different part next week, you could also make the argument. There's counter arguments to be sure, but you can make <laughs> the argument that you should machine them in the order that they're needed. Uh-huh. Um, the counter argument has to do with the total supply chain jerking the total supply chain right like if the materials are different suddenly i'm asking for a lot of one material then a lot of a different material sure so then but i think that more has to do with the time scale you're kind of looking at Mm -hmm. right so if you zoom out to a year and say and this is where production leveling comes in right? right if you zoom out to a year and say this is our ratio of parts they should all be happening in that ratio down to the day or down to the hour or down to i mean there's so many mm-hmm. things to uh balance yeah. um but i was just uh sam had a question about essentially increasing our batch size or decreasing our batch size uh-huh. and it almost always when looking at the station makes sense to increase your batch size and it almost always <laughs> <laughs> makes less sense from an organizational perspective yeah Um, And I just thought a good way of visualizing it is what is actually leaving our shop in what ratios and in what cadence and how do we approach that with production? Uh Like if we make 72 pins right now, our batch size for pins is 72. Yeah. Um, If we say increase that to 500, suddenly our CNC is tied up for half a day instead of an eighth of a day. Yeah. Right. And so that really messes us up on other fronts because we don't actually use 500 pins at once. (laughs) We use them mixed in with a cam and a body. Right. And so it should really go one cam, one body, one pin, one cam, one body, one pin. Which doesn't. Theoretically, yeah. (laughs) At the moment. I mean, it seems like this theoretically Kanban should level your inventory it should be a effective inventory, you know, control method. Yeah. So maybe it it really just comes back to like re- trying reducing your batch sizes again. Yeah, I think I think so. I think um, I just think it's worth like as a. Uh, I think it's just very clear to see what's leaving the shop as a benchmark for upstream processes mm-hmm. because gotcha. once you get upstream, it can sort of. It can start to feel muddy and hard to tell and hard to see what would be the most efficient answer for a given yeah. right. station or process. Yeah. And That's so for you, probably f- relatively easy information to, to, yeah, to, to yeah. get. Yeah, it definitely is. It'd be kind of cool just to divide that by like working days and say like our right. batch size for each part should be equivalent to how many of these we ship on average in a day. That would be cool. And we make one batch of each thing per day. I have dreams of (laughs) a machine with a big trunnion on it with a bunch of vices that does that do all of our parts. Yeah. And then a way to load those all in the ratio we want. So we could just tell it in that day what parts we want to make. That'd be cool. There's this video floating around of a Hermla. Okay. With this huge like it's got a robot 
part loading uh-huh. thing with I think the jaws must be the grippers must be adjustable and I think the vice jaws are maybe auto adjustable okay and then it has this rack of like I don't know 500 different stock sizes Jeez, and it actually has Kanban in the name I don't know it's in German but it's like ah. Kanban um, <clears throat> but I think the concept right is like you just to order based you know individual parts make one yeah make this yeah one, make that one it doesn't tackle the second op side of it like you still oh, have a side to finish off which oh. you'd have to figure out how to do somehow but yeah um it's you're not the only one thinking about oh that, certainly not <laughs> yeah for sure for sure but that would be very cool um another fun insight from this week actually, uh sorry one more thing on that oh, yeah maybe a simple like it's cool to like dream about that but maybe a simple <laughs> bite-sized piece would be to say within a within a part family yeah we're gonna do right like have have three-quarter setup that does the three parts for three quarter yeah. and then i don't know if i can inch. get that on one vice jaw i think that's a well maybe i mean in my case it might make sense to put in that engineering time because like that part is fairly stable yeah I don't know. That would be cool. That would be super cool. You'd have to have multiple gripper fingers or grippers. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I do have one spare tool pocket at the moment. So, Mm. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. (laughs) Uh, So we, um, Sam wrote a bunch of SOPs. Yeah. And his takeaway, which I thought was very interesting and insightful was he was kind of like the harder the SOP is to write, I feel like indicates it's a flag, a bad process. Interesting. And I was like, that is a very good point. Huh? And it almost makes it more. I feel like often you have this thing where we've had this, where you put off doing some very simple analysis. And then the second you do the analysis, it's so like glaring and in your face. Yeah. That, you're like, wow, this is sun- <laughs> like, I knew that I would get this answer, but suddenly seeing this answer just makes it so clear to me. Yeah. Um, we had that with like internal versus external setup times. We went from a 14 minute changeover to a seven minute changeover just by clearly identifying the first step of SMED single minute exchange of dies is identifying stuff that has to happen with the, with the machine stopped, stopped and stuff that doesn't. And just by going through all the things that need to happen and saying this is internal and that's external, we cut it from 14 minutes to seven minutes. Yeah. Um, which is funny because it's such a simple act of going through and differentiating, but somehow like writing it out an SOP, it's like really slaps you in the face. of Like mm-hmm. your system sucks, right? <laughs> it's like, there's a lot of little fiddly stuff. There's a lot of like, you know, notice this detail. And if it's like this, you know, nudge that thing this way a little bit or like put pressure on it against this wall so that it's registered correctly like there's just and it starts to point out like all this little all these little details that a you have to teach for someone else to do that process and b if someone forgets to do it you end up with defects and so it's bad and it's bad and bad all those ways yeah so you just have to hire someone to fix those problems (laughs) hire a consultant may or may not work no don't hire a consultant (laughs) yeah um interesting uh or i should say the only thing i've seen that does work for hiring consultants yeah. it seems like reliably is hiring consultants to help you build a lean culture to help teach people lean 
Uh-huh. It doesn't really help to come tell you how to do lean. Yeah. Like, oh, here, we'll Kanban this for you and we'll do a uh, you know, value stream analysis here and we'll... <laughs> yeah. That doesn't seem to have lasting effects. Yeah. I think I... Yeah. I have a friend uh, who, who listens to this. Hi, Grant. <laughs> uh, we had a conversation this week and he was like, what do you think I should put some time into? I was like, I don't know. Like, I... I don't know your system well enough to yeah. to even have a place to start. And I don't know if I'm particularly good at this to begin with. Like I think mm. I'm, I'm like in, I'm starting to understand my own system. Well, like <laughs> totally. just barely well enough yeah. to see holes and see places where I need to put right improvement efforts. <clears throat> but like walking into other people's shops, I'm like, this looks sweet. <laughs> nice shop. That's yeah. great. Right on. I wish I could work here. This yeah. is cool. <laughs> Trade my problems for someone else's. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, one last thought. I don't just in. So I read the goal this last week. Oh, last thought on the goal. Mm. <laughs> I feel like I was expecting it to be extremely painful read. Okay. Uh, Cause everyone was like, it's fiction, but about manufacturing. I feel like, like I'm mostly that guy. <laughs> I think everybody has basically okay. said that. <laughs> okay, like, cool. oh, yeah. he's a terrible writer. And I was like, oh God, this is going to yeah. be a slog. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. It was like, I feel like it was kind of like for a manufacturing nerd, it was like a rom-com sort of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I it had enough that. like tidbits in there to be like, oh yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> But then it was just like this easy breezy kind of like I literally like stayed up till midnight reading. That's it awesome. I, I should, <laughs> Real page turner. <laughs> I should add that I'm like fairly starved for entertainment lately. But, okay. Uh, but I really <laughs> I had a great, <laughs> That's awesome. I had a great time. I think also being familiar enough with these concepts already. Uh-huh. Like I kind of knew where he was going. Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, this guy's oh, going to pull yeah. it off. <laughs> really going to show it. That's <laughs> funny. But there was all, yeah, I think... I think it is a worthwhile maybe method of, of doing informational exchange because my experience fiction. Yeah. Okay. Or at least these kind of more drawn out, like he kind of has, I don't know, four or five concepts, maybe not even that many right in the book that he's really trying to get across. And he does it in these very drawn out incremental uh, phases and it gives you time to chew on them in a way that often a textbook style is, uh, you know, often I find myself in a textbook, like reading a sentence and being like, do I understand that? No. Yeah. Okay. Read it again. Mm-hmm. Do I understand it? No. <laughs> okay. I guess I'm going to set this book down now. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I come back when I think I understand that. And then it's like a year later, I'm like halfway through the book and I'm like, huh. <clears throat> so I feel yeah. like textbook stuff, you often are like, you get through the book and maybe like you have an eighth of it that you've actually like digested mm-hmm. fully at, at best maybe. And this book, I was like, I feel like I got most of what he was like trying to get across here. Uh-huh. Um, so that was kind of cool. <clears throat> but yeah. it, anyway, it inspired a lot of thought That's this last awesome. week. And one thing was just about lead times just generally and how okay. to lower them. And I'm just, this is not a, uh, an actionable thing immediately but I really am thinking that maybe bringing anodizing in house would make a lot of sense for our business. Music to my ears, my friend. (laughs) Uh, yeah. Music to my customers ears too. Um, we should compare notes. 
yeah slash get a shop together yes, <laughs> and just share them. an anodized line yeah that um, pretty much pretty sure it's that one yeah but just like i you know looking at kind of like our value add chain interesting not that I, I haven't actually done a value stream map yet though i did some research um there's this like huge gap at the end of our production process where we're just waiting i can see that i'm quoting i have two quotes out right now where people want anodize and they're in a hurry and i'm like yeah if we do anodize that adds like three to six weeks like yeah i don't know what to tell you and it's sort of i think the problem is that it's out of your hands and so a lot of people treat it as sort of a just a given uh-huh. instead of so what you're saying is this is a fixable problem maybe right if you had it in house yeah. it would be a much faster turnaround yeah and we might not make money specifically on <clears throat> the process like right. i'm guessing for a while we probably wouldn't yeah maybe even lose money sure yeah like it then this comes back to the process versus operations thing like viewed individually i'm sure that that station would not make money for a while right but viewed in the context of how much work we could ship in a month or in a year interesting i think it probably would be a big benefit potentially yeah. i don't know yeah for sure and and just like from an internal scheduling thing being able to be like okay this is a rush job that this has become a rush job because we have to tack on a week for anodizing and the customer needs it by this date whereas if we could do it in-house we could not interrupt our flow potentially right shut you know put it in where it makes sense run each part individually through anodizing as it comes off the machine yeah and have an order ready to go on time i know there's a lot about it that would be very appealing yeah no i, I aside from i'm right the there chemicals. with you i mean that's partly why i'm doing the paint honestly yeah it's just because i can do it in-house easily yeah it's not easy but yeah. it's easier than anodize in yeah. some ways yeah so that's an ongoing like right. there's literally nowhere we could stick it right now in our space physically i think hmm. um but it seems like a very good avenue to explore in the future yeah also we need more labor but i think we'll need labor anyway anodize feels very uh like definitely racking is a human thing yeah at the moment yeah um but the rest of the process seems like if you could pony up the cash automation would be so good yeah and it's our, really a time a timing sensitive thing so like someone yeah forgetting to pull something from a tank is oh automation for the dipping process yeah yeah anyway yeah for sure and for our parts we don't i mean there's some things we run large quantities of but often it's not a huge like racking mm -hmm. i don't think is going to be a massive thing like we probably spend more time right now packing Right, and then re-unpacking when and it then comes packing back again. Yeah, and we're spending like around. I haven't actually done a hard calculation, but I think it's about a thousand bucks a month that we spend on shipping back and forth to anodizing. Yeah, and right there's there's your profit, even if your station doesn't. Yeah, make money exactly. Some of that we pass through to the customer. Sure, but then someone's paying for it. Someone's in the paying end. for it. Yeah. Some of it we don't pass through to the customer, depending on the customer and. So it's either going to be savings to the customer or it's going to be more profit in our pocket, depending on how we Which is decide to handle it. Either flowing more value to the customer or yeah. profit to you. So both are good. Yeah. Maybe we'll meet somewhere in the middle. There you go. <laughs> well, that's probably a good 
uh, note to end on for the week or for the episode rather. Yep. Um, you can find us at incremental CI on Instagram. You can find me at lichen underscore MFG on Instagram. And you can find me at austere underscore manufacturing on Instagram. Keep posting and reaching out. We love the conversations. And yeah. Yeah. We will see you in a couple of days. <laughs>